Good morning, everyone. Last week, Jared brought up and talking about the essential of grace in our lives, the old videos of our life. You know the stories in your own life, the ones that we really wouldn't, would prefer for them to not be on display for everyone else. But today we're talking about uh, resolving the fight of our life, really. And so I'm going to ask you to start today in a very unusual way. I'm going to ask you to go back to some of those old videos in your life, particularly a time, a relationship where you were in a disagreement, an argument, or at odds with somebody. I know that every one of us has one that stands out in our mind. A fight that you got in with somebody. I'm not talking necessarily about a fist fight, though it might have involved that for some of you if you're going way back. Those teenage years are fraught with hormonal surges that can lead us to use the fist. But um, just an argument you had. And I'd like you to think about when you're in the middle of that argument, and this is one that you've resolved, okay? One that you made up from, not one that's ongoing. <laughs> and I'd like you to think about what did you feel and what did you think? when you were still at odds with that person, when you were still in the, engaged in the battle with them. And just raise your hand and I'll call on you and just a word or two about the emotion you felt or the thing that was going through your mind. Yes. Devalued. Okay, someone else? Yes. Betrayal. Strong experiences. Someone else? you feel or think when you're in the middle of the fight? Yeah. Fear. Yeah, someone's had this. Bob. Turmoil. Yes. Devastation. Anxiety. Yes, anxiety and uncertainty. Lots of emotions. Well, okay, that's enough of that part of the old video. Let's get to the good part of the story. Where you, where you made up, where you got back together, where you resolved the dif- differences. And I want you to think about what that felt like and what emotions you felt when everything was made right with that person, when you were back in harmony with each other. And just raise your hand and we'll go with that. Grace. Somebody else, what'd you think or feel in that moment? Yes. Peace? Yes. Wonderful feeling. Yes, Nikki. Relief. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. That's over. We're on the other side. That's great. Somebody else, what you thought or felt when the relationship was reconciled? Anyone else? Yes, Bob. Light. Yeah, as in feeling lighter, not burdened. Good. Anyone else, what you felt when the relationship had been reconciled? Forgiveness. Wow, that's a good feeling. A clean slate. There's no marks on the wall there of your heart, great feeling. Well, this is really what Paul does with the Ephesians. In the passage we're gonna look at today, Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 18, is he is going to take them through a very similar exercise to what we've just done. He's gonna ask them to replay the old videos of their life. The first two verses we'll look at, he asks them specifically to remember their former life before Christ, pre-Christ, what was going on. While they were still fighting with God, while they were still at odds with God. And then he's going to remind them and review with them all that God did for them when they became reconciled. And so it's going to be this wonderful mix of emotions from the, the devastation, the separation, the difficulty, the pain, the betrayal that, that we can feel before we're reconciled to the wonderful peace and forgiveness 
community and love that we feel when that's complete. And the thing is, Paul's talking about not their relationships with each other first, but their relationship with God. And the big essential that we're talking about today is reconciliation. It's just a big word that simply means to relate two things together, to help them correspond together, to restore something to its original unity. And in the Bible, it's always used of our relationship being reconciled to God through his son, Jesus Christ, being restored to its original unity. When we say original, we're talking about pre-sin in the garden, that first big piece of God's story that Jared's been talking about, creation. Back then when sin had not entered the picture, restoring us to that original unity of God where they walked in the garden and there was no hindrance. They could hear God. They could see his work around them without any filters coming in place. And he wants to restore that in our reconciliation. So Paul's reminding them of this. And he also wants us to know and to feel how important our relationship with God is and how of all the fights that any of us will ever have with each other, even our spouse, there is no fight more important to reconcile in our lives than the fight that we engage in with God, than the battle to be reconciled with him. Paul wants us to remember what that felt like and what it meant in our lives and what it means today. So we're going to take a look back and we're going to take a look at the present. Because reconciliation is essential and it changes everything. Let's take a look at Ephesians, the second chapter, beginning in verse 11. And it's page 827 on the Bible in the rack there in front of your, of your chair Um, If you want to have a fast-forward flip through the pages quickly, find it time. So it's Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 18. Paul writes this. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he came to put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. So it's interesting in this passage, there's really two big ideas. Oh, there's all kinds of things we could talk about, but two big ideas that come out. And the first is this, that reconciliation only happens in Christ. And secondly, that reconciliation changes everything. Before we unpack those two, I want you to notice what isn't stated there. You won't find forgiveness in this passage. It's kind of interesting. You will find through the blood of Christ. And of course, Forgiveness is the pathway 
that accomplishes reconciliation. But that's what he's referring to by Jesus' blood being shed on the cross. It's because in this passage, Paul is emphasizing this first thing. That it is through relationship with Christ. It's not the process of forgiveness that we worship. It's the Savior, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. He is emphasizing the outcome of Jesus' death on the cross for us. It's reconciliation, the pathway to that, through him, through the forgiveness, through the shedding of his blood. And so we want to take a look, first of all, at how reconciliation happens only in Christ. You see, every single person on planet Earth Jared said it last week this way, was born dead on arrival. That is, dead to sin. But what Paul says here is every person on planet Earth is born with irreconcilable differences with God. Every single one of us. So how do I settle irreconcilable differences with God? Well, not by engaging in divorce proceedings and coming up with a custody and property settlement. Not by coming up with a self-improvement, all-do-better scheme that we present to God, but rather, and not by engaging in some cosmic court battle where we try to take God on and prove our case to him that really our differences are, are worthy of his interest. Because you see, we have absolutely no grounds to stand on if that's the way we come to him for reconciliation. There's no way for a holy God, one who's perfect in every way, to be reconciled with imperfect people like you and me, with sinners. Except this, this whole Christ-centered piece of this passage, except for Jesus. And so God, who is absolutely righteous, found a way to reconcile the fact that we were sinners and that he was completely righteous. And so in that, he had to send a perfect one, his son, to die in our place, to pay the penalty of sin. Romans tells us, Paul writes in Romans and says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. He goes on to say, though, the wages of sin, the price of sin, the penalty of sin, the outcome of my sin is death, eternal death and separation from God. But, he says, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so he found a way to accommodate his righteousness and take care of our sin at the same time says he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Verse 13 is what we call a hinge verse. That is that everything in this passage hinges on this verse. It is the turning point for this passage where it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off or far away from God have been brought near through the blood of Christ. You see, only Jesus Christ could solve the problem of our sin and hostility with God and with one another. And only Jesus can take aliens, foreigners, and make them citizens of one kingdom with one ruler, his kingdom, and make us equals and part of his family. Only Jesus can take two groups of people and make them one, a group of people, two groups of people who are absolutely hostile to one another, the Jews and the Gentiles, the clean as they would have referred it to themselves, and the unclean. And only Jesus could take those two groups and bring them together and create peace and harmony. And only Jesus could destroy the wall, a wall as strong as the Berlin Wall, which we saw torn down in our lifetime. But just as certain of a wall between us and God and between us and each other, only Jesus could tear that down. 
He is the only one who could do these things for us. Reconciliation, Paul is emphasizing, only happens in Christ. And that's why instead of emphasizing forgiveness, the process, he emphasizes the person. Because it's all about our relationship with him. There's, it's not a set of rules. It's not a step-by-step process. It's about coming to a person, the person of Jesus Christ. That's why this, but now in Christ. So how do we get reconciled? How do we take care of those irreconcilable differences that we have with God? Well, one of the truths about reconciliation is for it to truly be complete, both sides have to agree to it. So Jesus has done everything he can do to reconcile us to himself. So the final piece of the puzzle is us accepting what he did. That's how we move from being pre-Christ, where we get our term pre-Christians from, because everybody falls in one of those two categories. They're pre-Christians, which means they are people waiting to move from where they are fighting with God to where they are at peace with God, known by him, loved by him, experiencing all of his promises. That's what we were designed to do. And to do that, it's one decision. And it's a decision about a relationship, not a decision about a set of rules, not a decision about a way of life. It's about a relationship. We have to decide what we believe about what Jesus did for us and accept what he has done for us. And that moves us from being pre-Christ to in Christ. And it makes all the difference because reconciliation with God changes everything. Remember our thoughts and feelings that we were sharing when we were talking about being in the fight with people? And some of you said betrayal, devastation, pain, a lot of these kinds of words, a lot of painful things. Well, I want you to hear the lineup of words that Paul shares about our pre-Christ experience. He's looked at those old videos, as Jared called them. And here's what he saw. Pre-Christ, we were separated We were excluded. We were foreigners. We were without hope and without God. He's describing our old videos and what they looked like. You might have some words you'd like to add to those. But reconciliation changes our pre-Christ experience to something brand new in Christ. And we want to take a look at five changes, five things that change when we move from being pre-Christ, pre-Christian, to being in Christ And I hope that you'll view it like I'm looking at an album of my life. And here's the before and here's the after pictures in the album. Maybe it's a slideshow, maybe for you it's a video. But that's what we're going to do. And at the end, we're going to celebrate with communion all that God has done for us. And it really is going to be a grand celebration. So let's take a look. First of all, he says, our connection with God changes when we're reconciled. Before Christ, we were separated or far off, and now we're brought near. There is nothing standing between me or you and God any longer. The sin that was the wall between us has been completely destroyed. And Romans 8 tells us that nothing can ever separate us from his love ever again. Nothing. Jesus himself promises that he'll never leave us or forsake us. This nearness isn't a temporary state, in other words. Once I become in Christ, which is a decision to accept what he's done for me, then I am positioned close to God. And nobody can take that away from me. We have a savior who we can talk to. We have a friend 
that Proverbs describes as the friend who sticks closer than a brother. We have a high priest who understands our weaknesses and intercedes for us. We have an advocate with the Father who says, stamps across our life, forgiven. In fact, in John, the 10th chapter, Jesus says it this way, no one can snatch you out of my Father's hands. No one can snatch you out of my Father's hands. I mean, there's tremendous promise when we are in Christ for our future and for our present. We are near God and nobody can move us from that position. So not only does our connection with God change, but also our status with God's people changes. He describes us as being aliens or foreigners. And that all changes in Christ. In Christ, we become citizens. Now, Paul uses nationalistic language here to highlight that there were two groups of people in the world. The Jews, God's chosen people, which you were by birth, and the Gentiles, those outside of God's chosen people, the people whose God ushered his promises in through Abraham and succeeding generations. And in Ephesus, there were a lot of Gentile believers, probably even more than there were Jewish believers, but there was both groups in their community and in the known world at the time. Pre-Christ, we had no part in the promises or the covenants that God made with his people. There was no way for us Gentiles to become Jewish, to become part of God's family. In that sense, we were aliens. Pre-Christ, we were foreigners. Now, Paul is saying not only were we far from God, but we were also exempt from all the guarantees that God had made regarding his people's future. We were outsiders. That means that we were outside the reaches of his lavish grace, his unfailing love, his new mercies, his eternal life, all of us were outsiders for that. But when we accepted Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross, when we were reconciled, when we became in Christ, we became citizens grafted into his family, sons and daughters with all the promises and rights. Now, sometimes we love these fish out of water stories. There's a lot of movies that have been made about this. One of my favorites called The Out-of-Towners and uh, Goldie Hawn and Steve Martin made a remake of that movie. It's just two people, a couple, married couple who show up in New York City and have never been to the big city before. Sometimes, though, those fictional accounts don't really capture the essence of what it is to be an alien or foreigner that Paul's using as a metaphor here for our pre-Christ experience. Maybe this one that Jared and I had will for you. Jared and I were on a missions trip to Nigeria, and we had landed in Lagos, Nigeria. For those of you unfamiliar with that airport, it's regularly, it was then and it still is now today, on the one list of most dangerous airports to fly into in the world. You know, just terrible security, terrible screening measures, and they have a practice called tipping. Tipping is what we would typically call bribing, in which many people get by security measures this way. A little money to grease the hands works well. Well, we'd gotten off the plane with our team. We were the last in the lineup of our team, and there was a whole row of booths and a barrier between each one. So we were in line, and when it got to us, all of our team and the missionaries, the keys of horse were on the other side, but Jared and I were stalled, stopped. And then they whisked us off to a room. No windows, people we'd never met before, very officious looking people who... They could speak English, yes, but they could also speak dialects, 
which we couldn't understand when they wanted us not to understand. We had no clue what was wrong with us. We had no clue why they were detaining us. We sat in that room listening to them talk, not understanding half of what they said. We'd never been in the country before. So there was communication difficulties. There was a a fear of, we've heard this is a lawless country. What if they just decided to throw us in jail? I wonder what they've what their problem is. I wonder what the, why they're detaining us. No explanation. We were there for over an hour. Finally, the gentleman said we could get up. They let us out, and they took us to a booth, and they let us through, and sure enough, we didn't know if our missionaries were going to be there for us because we thought they might not let them hang out across the barrier too long, but they were there. One couple remained. Our beacons of hope on the other side of the barricade. That more clearly captures what Paul was talking about here. The fear, the uncertainty, the communication difficulties, the separation, the isolation, the doubts that we have as foreigners, as aliens, the distrust, the threats, the fear of physical danger, all the elements of an outsider, of a foreigner. But when we accept Jesus Christ, when we move from being pre-Christ to in Christ, That's completely changed because now we can live without fear of our destiny and without that uncertainty about what our ultimate future will be like. He says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans for your future and not for calamity, to give you a hope. But that's only possible as we're reconciled to God. We have someone much greater who is absolutely trustworthy in our lives, and we can submit to his authority without fear. There's no longer a communication gap with God. That's a part of moving from alien to citizen, to son or daughter. We can talk to our dad, our heavenly father. We can run to him, and he even knows what we need before we've said a word. Reconciliation changed our status with God and his people. But not only that, it also changed our identity. You see, Paul says that once we were segregated pre-Christ, but now we are one people. Here he's referring to our separation into two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles. And the distinctions that separated us were our differences. And we were judged unequal. I'm a Jew, I'm clean. I'm a Gentile, I'm unclean. I'm a Jew, I'm part of the promises. I'm a Gentile, I'm outside of those promises. I'm a Jew, I'm an heir of all that God has. I'm a Gentile, I'm completely excluded from the will. But in Christ, all of this has changed. He made the two groups one and broke down and destroyed the barrier or the wall, the dividing wall of animosity that had existed for centuries between these two groups. The word for broken here that Paul uses about Broken down, breaking down that wall, is the word that was used when his ship ran on a sandbar in Acts 27 off the coast of Malta. And it broke up into tons of pieces and debris. And it was those very planks and pieces of the ship that the people on board grabbed onto to make their way to shore. His point is he completely obliterated it. He didn't leave a short wall. He didn't just punch a hole in the wall. He completely obliterated it. There is now no distinction between Jew and Gentile. 
when we are in Christ. We are fully his family, completely adopted, as in as we can get. Absolutely no remnants of outsider left in our lives. Second class to no one. Paul could have also had in his mind um, the signs which hung in the court of the Gentiles in the temple in Jerusalem that warned Gentiles not to go any further. They could get no closer to the Holy of Holies because they were unclean. And in fact, Paul almost incited a riot in Acts 21 because he took some Asian Gentiles, particularly Trophimus, and he was accused of taking them past these signs. He went too far. He crossed the line because they were not equal. Gentiles and Jews were completely separate. And the Roman Empire, the Roman government, was completely happy for this penalty of death to be enforced. They didn't mind that there was a riot that ensued. They could have cared less. That was okay with them. Let them have their distinctions. This was just one example of the disdain that existed between Jews and Gentiles. And Paul wanted them to remember that. Now, this kind of ongoing friction between Jews and Gentiles continued in the early church, and we read about it in Acts 6, and we read about it again in Acts 15, where there were always a little bit of rubbing back and forth between Jew and Gentile, because they were still getting the idea of what Paul's talking about here, that in Christ, these distinctions, these differences are done away with. There aren't different classes of Christians. Now, if you have ever flown United... They have first class, then there's business class, then there's economy plus, then there's economy, and then there's coach, where the rest of us are, right? Yeah, there's five classes of passengers which get increasingly less legroom, I might add. But there's a couple of airlines, probably more, but a couple Southwest Airlines and JetBlue who don't do this. It's all one class. But if we had lined up the Jews and the Gentiles to take a flight, I want to tell you the Gentiles, all of us, would not even have made it on the plane. We weren't even in coach class. We were excluded. We were completely segregated away from them. But listen to what Paul says. We're part of his eternal family. We're all one. He says in Galatians 3.26, we're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of us who are baptized in Christ have been clothed with Christ. And there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. The old class or status distinctions are completely removed or done away with in Christ. Now, James talks about some other class distinctions we make. We, we don't relate as much to Jew and Gentile because that hostility has been taken away. But we can still make classes of Christians, can't we? James talked about it. He's, he talked about how sometimes somebody comes in all dressed in finery and we treat them so well. And another person comes in dressed shabbily. And this is just attire. And we treat them differently. This, he's saying that all of these distinctions, how we dress, how we look, how we cut our hair or don't cut our hair, all of these distinctions are removed when we move from being pre-Christ to in Christ. It's such great news, isn't it? So then we have, not only is our, our identity changed, but our state of being is changed. We move from 
a place of hostility with God to a place of peace. When we're at odds with someone, it generates all sorts of difficult emotions and stress, what we expressed at the start of our talk. But pre-Christ, he says, we lived in a constant state of hostility toward God and his people. But in Christ, peace becomes our new normal, our new state of being. We've all been part of angry situations. I want you to just revisit that. Let's revisit that old uh, video for a minute because that's what Paul was asking them to do. I'll revisit it with you by just sharing a few situations. We have the city of Cornelius that has been in the news without end uh, this past year who just recalled their mayor and two of their council people with angry words being shared in public and careers jeopardized and sides taken and a town really living at odds and divided into different camps according to what they think about these three people. That kind of hostility existed between us and God and much more and between us and one another pre-Christ. We have kids in school who deal with bullying. Bullies who, because of their own pain and anger, lash out and belittle and put down and physically threaten other kids leading to kids who come to school with their stomachs tied in knots, distracted from learning and often crippled with fear about what's going to happen to them that day. That's the kind of hostility that Paul's talking about. Pre-Christ, that's how we lived, and there was no answer for it except one thing, a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's all changed when we're reconciled to God through his son Jesus Now, when we're talking about being at peace, we're talking about being one with God, one with one another, and one with ourselves. This isn't a truce where we agree to disagree with God and each other. This isn't a state of mind. It's a state of being. It's a state of harmony and a complete absence of strife with God, a wholeness and integrity in our relationship with God, an absolute absence of strife that you don't earn, that you don't experience because you did everything right that week, but because you accepted Jesus Christ and have a relationship with him. That is an amazing change that Jesus brings to our lives when we're reconciled. Jesus, Paul says, he is our peace. Reconciliation changes everything. It moves us from a place of chaotic hostility to peace, but it also affects our access to God. Paul describes it this way. Pre-Christ, we were without access to God. Literally, we couldn't cross the gap. We couldn't get through the wall. There was no way around it. But in Christ, we have full access to our Heavenly Father. Pre-Christ, he says, we were walled off or fenced off, that word that he uses there for barrier. And then he uses that other word, that dividing wall that separated us not only from God, but from each other. But in Christ, we have full access to our Father through the Holy Spirit. Now, the word Paul uses for access here comes from the word used for an official in the Persian court who would usher people into the king's presence. That was his job. He was the gatekeeper in those kinds of terms, if you wanted to see the king, if you wanted to be in his presence, you had to go through him. That's the word that's used here for access because Jesus Christ is our usher 
into the Father's presence. Now, some of us are more familiar with our ushers here at Evergreen, and I said Jim Naviello and Mike, and let's see, I'm not sure I see all of them here. They're seated in different places, but I mean, they help us get into the building. They welcome us. They hand us the materials we need. They can help us find the place to take our kids, those kinds of things. That's a little bit different kind of usher. This would be one that those doors would not be, locked, would not be open to you unless the, he was there. The picture is of Jesus ushering us in to the Father's presence. He's telling the Ephesians that we have an usher into God's presence, and it's Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus said this too. When he's about ready to leave his closest followers in John 14, 6, they wanted to know, where, where are you going? Where is the way to the Father? He said, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one can come to the Father but through me. Every single person who is in Christ has complete access to the Father by his Spirit, and we're ushered in by none other than Jesus Christ, God's Son. That means that you can come to God anytime, anywhere, in any condition. Jesus made this possible because reconciliation through Jesus Christ changes everything. It changes our connection to God, our status with God, our identity, our state of being and relationship with each other, and our access to God. I met her the first night of a woman's retreat down in the mountains outside of San Diego. Kay shared her story with me. As a young girl, they had moved to London from India, and they were moving into a flat, and she found in one of the bedrooms where she was exploring a big old wooden wardrobe, and tucked away in one of the corner drawers at the base of the wardrobe was a small Bible. Now, she had been raised in a Hindu home, and she had the sense about her to understand that her parents probably weren't going to be too favorable to this Bible. So even as a young girl, she tucked it away. She hid it, and when her parents were not within sight, she would pull it out, and she began to read it. And that started her fight with God, her wrestling match with God over, could there really be one way to God? And it was through this person of Jesus Christ. She wasn't sure. She had heard about many gods in Hinduism. This was so totally different to her. She also understood that mom and dad might not be too thrilled with her little journey through the scriptures. But she kept on reading. And she kept on being troubled by it, but not wanting to bring it up for fear of what it might mean for her family. Because family was really important to her. She had so many questions, but she had nobody to ask. Well, she was married to a Sikh from India, and they immigrated to the United States. And interestingly, a couple of guys on her husband's job brought him to this church of which I was doing the retreat for, and he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Kay, meanwhile, was still wrestling with who God was. And she came to the retreat with all of her questions. And that first night after we finished talking about God's crazy love for us, she made a decision. She completed the reconciliation. She decided to accept Jesus Christ. Her fight with God was over. She was reconciled. She was so excited, she couldn't wait to call him on the phone, except the reception was pretty bad. Um, and she had to, in the room where we were meeting, so she had to go to someplace else on campus. She wanted to tell her husband, the war is over. I see what you mean. I understand where we're going. She was at peace. 
she'd been reconciled. She'd started that relationship with Jesus Christ. So how do we experience that? Like we've been saying, it's not about a process. It's not about a set of rules. It's what Paul emphasized. It's about a person, Jesus Christ. It's accepting him and what he did for us. And he stamps on our case, reconciled. The sins are wiped away. I have a fresh start. I'm no longer an alien. I'm now one of his beloved daughters or sons. That's what moves you and me from pre-Christ to in Christ. And you can make that decision today if you find yourself in that place.